and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and with me, a staff journalist, Tom. Hey. And key contributor, Byron. G'day. Welcome. Look, um, this week we're peeling back that can, the lid on that can of worms, otherwise known as the great SUV debate. Should we Aussies love them? as much as we do. Um, we'll also discuss a trio of recent entries to the Cars Guide Garage. Before we go any further though, um, Byron, behind you, you, there is a mysterious, a mysterious vehicle. Can you give any clues as to what that might be? Well, uh, yes, I can tell you that this image was taken in Australia. <laughs> Which city? Uh, uh, okay, uh, the city, the uh, the Emerald City. Yes, which would so, be Sydney. Which would be Sydney. That's right. Yes, and uh, it's not a recent photo, and nor <laughs> is it from Federation. So it's um, yeah. For, so for people watching on YouTube or on our website, um, as we go, uh, just have a stab at it. Put your guess in uh, in the comments as to what you think this this vehicle is, but. Before we go any further, speaking of vehicles of an older vintage, you've added to the Matthew Darkus fleet recently, haven't you, Byron? Give us an update. Okay. Uh, now, I have a bit of history with this particular car, and I have wanted to own a variant of each um, motorcycle. So I've gone from JB to JD, and now I have... A Holden JE Camira Executive Wagon. <laughs> oh, wagon. Yes. Brilliant. So, yep, that's Brilliant. right. So, um, I have watched uh, prices for Holden's uh, rocket, as everyone has, as you know. Uh, but did we think that the Camira would be one of them? Did anyone no. think that the Camira would have joined that? No, uh, that well, was that, that was a dream that was unlikely to come true. But uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, you know, uh, Veronica Santa does exist because Camaras <laughs> uh, have, I think, they've quadrupled in value over the last uh, six to eight months. Yeah, so yeah they've gone from about, about, about two hundred and fifty bucks <laughs> to about a thousand. That kind of that's me, right. That's right. <laughs> well, anyway, so, look, hang on a minute. Correct my memory, though. As far as I know, the Camaro was famously one of the worst Holdens ever. Is that is that not correct? No, no, it was one. Of the, it was one of the uh, most unfairly uh, uh, complained about Holdens because people didn't know how to look after them. They didn't understand the uh, the exoticness of them in terms of engineering and technological advancements compared to I don't know the. Uh, okay. A sunbird that he okay. That okay. Two two words there: Camaro and exotic. Camaro <laughs> and exotic. <laughs> Anyway, so doubting Thomas's <coughs> and James. Times, times one. <laughs> times one, that's right. Oh, so you, you understand, James. I, I recall looking at a uh, February 1989 issue of Modern Motor where you I'm, did a comparison with I'm, Swi- I'm Switzerland in this whole thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty neutral on the whole thing. Uh, yeah, but well. look, let's, maybe we can come back to that when we're okay. talking about cars in a garage. But we'll, we'll uh, let... People who are watching on YouTube know that you can jump ahead courtesy of the time codes in the notes below and you can click on the chapter markers in the timeline. So in the spirit of keeping discussion flowing, uh, Stephen Otley during the week 
authored a story around the whole SUV thing, I think with a focus on the smaller SUVs that we continue to buy, this this wave of of SUVs is still flooding through the Australian new car market. You know, we we can't get enough of these things. And he's just, um, I suppose, questioning some of the aspects that people will typically put up as not justification, but a reason for buying an SUV. I like the high ride height because it gives me a commanding position um, out over the rest of the traffic. It's easy to load things in and out, be they little kids, groceries, whatever it might be. It's a, it's a good level. But he says, as we drive more and more SUVs, everybody's kind of at, at the same level and, and the smaller SUVs particularly. So your, your commanding position is no longer a thing. And the smaller ones are so very close to hatches. SUV is just like three letters. It's just words that doesn't really mean as much as it used to. Why would you buy a, a car like a Stonic um, when it's uh, so very close to a Rio? Um, and, and I suppose it's just kicking it off by getting um, your opinion. Let's kick, kick it off with you, Byron. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand with the whole, is the term justified and are people heading down the SUV path in a better position than those uh, looking for a traditional small car? Okay, that's an interesting question. And, and really, it's one that's dogged well, us as journalists for years because where do you draw the line as to what an SUV is? Uh, I think that given the evolving nature of cars and the car industry, that um, it's always going to be a bit of a shifting ground. But um, I, I support the, the umbrella term for SUV that basically means anything that isn't sedan ride height and sedan looking or hatchback looking. Okay. Passenger car okay. Looking. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so having said that, uh, there's that other term crossover, which neatly uh, kind of fits between the two. So you can call a Stonic, which is really a hatch, a, a Rio hatch for yeah. all intents and purposes. Uh-huh. You can call it a crossover because it crosses over to aspiring to be an SUV. Yeah. And I think uh, so uh, from my personal and professional perspective, I can kind of lean on that term to describe right. cars like the Stonic and the Focus Active, for instance. That thing is not an SUV. It's, it's barely what, what taller. A, what about from a spiritual and a cultural perspective as well, Byron? I mean, if, you, if you're going personal and professional, what about a, from a political point? Well, from a political point, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, um, actually, I actually do think of that also because, um, I mean, when you compare a Suzuki Ignis or a Kia Stonic, or when you put it in the same category as a Land Cruiser 200 series or, you know, a Mercedes G wagon, a Jalanda wagon, uh, how can they be in the same category? It's nuts. Well, Tom, put it this way. Let's kick it off. Um, Subaru Outback, uh, Subaru XUV, uh, XV, SUV or wagons? It's an interesting one, isn't it? And I actually was going to bring up the uh, crossover term because it's it's an American term that we don't often use in our market, but I think it is really relevant because yeah. it's true. Like a lot of these cars are just lifted hatchbacks. Some of them are more heavily redesigned than others. Um, like in the case of the XV, it's literally just an Impreza with 
different suspension and some plastic cladding. Um, then you get, you know, your kind of stonics where the body changes more significantly and there are more significant other changes to the car. And then, you know, as you sort of move, move along, you get to things like Yaris Cross, which is an entirely different car, um, you know, in that kind of crossover space, it's really interesting. And the thing that I find uh, quite true as well is I think there's an element of, of marketing to this and people obviously have a big taste for anything that's SUV. And if you can slap the SUV tag on something, there's probably a better chance you're going to sell a few more of them. And this is probably yeah. true, I think, about Ignis, right? Um, what is actually, it's a Japanese city car. It's not even, I don't think it even began life with people intending for it to go out to a Western market and labeling it as an SUV. I don't think that was the intention with that car. I think it's a convenience thing to say, okay, well, we can actually sell this Japanese city car, which aren't often sold outside of Japan, somewhere else, call it an SUV and get a few sales out of it. The other interesting thing is the price difference. And this is what a lot of commenters point out when I review a, a small SUV, they'll hop in the comments on YouTube and say, why would I spend seven to 10K more on an equivalent spec level of one of these when I could just buy the, the hatch on the same platform with the same fittings, with the same spec level, and it's much cheaper. And it's true, but people do. And I don't know whether it's because it's an SUV and it's been marketed that way, or it's the inherent conveniences that come with that. Things like, well, I never have to worry about it scraping on my driveway. I yeah. can see yep. over things that I couldn't see over before. And, mm -hmm. and to your point, why would they spend X dollar, amount of dollars more Actually, because you'll probably get most of that back when it comes to resale. Yeah, That's probably. True. SUVs yeah. and crossovers do have better well, resale look, than there. I, I think it opens up a slightly bigger question, which is the psychology of SUV buying. And when you when you think that SUV, depending on, on where you stand on the whole thing, can can describe, as you said, Byron, everything from a Suzuki Ignis up to a, a full-size land cruiser. There are divisions within that, you know, what, what's a four-wheel drive? Okay, so a four-wheel drive is something that might have a locking diff or a center transfer case or, or whatever that can do some serious off-road work. It's probably a body-on-frame design. That's, that's that. Then you have your all-wheel drive, and, and that's sort of more for on-road, a little bit of light off-roading. Um, it still has that lifestyle attribute to it. And then your front-wheel drive, city-only, smaller, still SUV. I think all of them, in a way, say, I haven't lost it. You know, I've, I'm, I'm still, I've still got the rock. I'm, I'm, I'm with it. I haven't bought a people mover. I've bought an SUV because one day we're going to go to Kakadu, you know, and, and we're going to explore the capabilities of this lifestyle vehicle. Never happens, very rarely happens, but it's that whole, this is an option where I can get all the practicality but it's not nerdy. It's still pretty cool. And I think that's part of the genesis of the whole SUV thing. And to your point, Tom, uh, crossover American term, as far as I'm aware, SUV is as well. So it was trying to just promote what were purpose-built vehicles into a much broader market to, to make them the sport utility vehicle, you know, yeah. and it can, it can enable your new lifestyle. Yeah. Isn't that interesting, though, the, the shift? I remember um, one, of, one of the first cars, like I, I learned to drive on a Honda CRV. And um, the interesting thing about that car was it still had an element of capability. It still had this pretense of like off-road ability. It still had a lot of clearance and uh, it still, you know, there, there was an element to it that 
actually was a little bit capable, you know. Um, uh, but had as a spare wheel see, probably um, hung out from the back door. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's the spare thing. wheel on the great back, like, great which they don't have anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And and I, I find it really interesting that shift has just become like, would you ever take a Suzuki Ignis anywhere near sand or mud or like really? And and that just permeates across the whole entry level small SUV. Um, in the Ignis's defence, in Japan, it is available with an optional uh, part-time four-wheel drive system uh-huh. because yeah, of, course. of the, yeah, right. the snowing. And it also has a good uh, ground clearance, right. more so than, say, a Mirage or or, or, a, or a sub-B segment super, super Mini that it um, dimensionally yeah. competes against. Yeah. Um, and but, yeah, but I think to take your point, Tom, it's almost like, those elements that once defined a proper off-road SUV have become kitsch kind of little tips of a hat to that. So you have mm. plastic over fenders that in a, in a more serious car would be to keep branches and rocks and whatever out of the wheel arches and they just become these little trim elements and it all mm. seems a bit twee and, and kitsch, you know? Yeah, and more of a nod than anything else. This whole yeah. topic actually got got me thinking. You know, where where where's the pointy end? Like like, what do SUVs become? And I think the I think the one that we see now is uh, the Ionic Five. Look at that! It it's what cars are going to become. Like it's this melding of SUV and hatch and and like other elements of all sorts of body styles all melded together into this amorphous electric mm. raised mm. blob and is mm. that is that the end is is that what cars become you know is <laughs> will we all be driving a a electric car that has the wheelbase of a santa fe and the ride height of a small suv like it <laughs> yeah i mean that's it's this ever evolving thing isn't it it, it is but I, I think it's also just uh fashion and it's every it's cyclical um when yeah. i when i started driving my car was a peugeot uh, an old peugeot 504 which right. has the, gl- the ground clearance of a Honda CRV. It's yeah. got the roof height of uh, a Honda CRV because when I bought that car in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. I could find it in car parks because it stood taller than oh, most cars really? around it at yeah, the time. Right, right, and, right. and I remember thinking, and my mum used to like it. My mum, my mum who uh, she's a uh, short Italian woman, she would just, she would just like literally stepping in, in, into it. She yeah, goes, oh, beautiful. Oh, Baden, this is very comfortable. I but like also when car. she's in there, some of the world's best seats and oh. one, of, one of the most compliant suspensions you could you could ever find, even now, those mm. 504s. I haven't driven one for a while, but boy, um, well, Peugeot at that point knew how to build a beautiful suspension. They do. Well, they still do. I mean, I'd say the 508 suspension and 308 suspension is good, but the, well, that's way off topic, isn't <laughs> that's it? All right. <laughs> it's all right. It's okay, yeah. Byron. We can do yeah. that. Yes, good. Um, the, the other thing I was going to say was that the SUV to me consistently presents a conundrum in that, yes, you might get these uh, benefits that people use to, to either genuinely or emotionally justify or rationalise their purchase, which is the high ride height and, and the easy loading and all that kind of stuff. But what you're not getting is that car-like drive. You know, when, when you're in a more conventional car and if it is a lower ride height and a lower centre of gravity and everything that goes with it, it's it's an easier, possibly more enjoyable, but just a more dynamic drive experience. An SUV typically is, is more top-heavy, relatively ponderous um, when you're driving it. And the, the whole anachronism that is the high-performance SUV seems to be, let's make this high-riding, um, big, heavy SUV handle like 
a low riding lightweight sports car, which just seems silly, but mm. it happens. Yeah, it's like that. Uh, it, it, it reminds you of that ad that uh, Pirelli or something used to do in the eighties, or yeah, in the eighties about uh, you, you, there's no uh, you, uh, about the sprint runner who used to run in stilettos. You remember that? And, right, uh, right. It was to say that, you know, you need proper footwear in order to have the best performance. And, yes. And it was, a, it, was a, yeah. it was a runner at the starting blocks wearing red stiletto. <laughs> uh, yeah. so, but, but the yeah. irony is, I don't know about you guys, having driven the latest crop of high-performance SUVs, they tend to be the more premium side of things um, from the likes of AMG and BMW M and even that... Um, amazing Trackhawk Jeep Grand Cherokee on a circuit, they're pretty, they're pretty great. You know, they, they they are um, incredible, even on a race circuit. So it kind of works, but it just doesn't make any logical sense. It's a thing, isn't it? It gives the engineer something to do. Um, But, uh, you know, you got to wonder when you're in this bizarro world where you can have something that's called a coupe SUV and, Yeah. Someone has invested huge amounts of time and R&D and money on making yeah. this gigantic thing yeah. tame gravity and yeah. drive like something that already exists in the range. You just can't convince these people to buy it anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it's interesting you make the point about gives it something to do because a few podcasts ago, I think I mentioned that I've been driving the KN GTS, um, twin turbo V8, uh, all, all that. And it feels like Porsche has got to grips with what an SUV is. And it felt like a Porsche. You know, it really, it really felt like you were driving a slightly higher 911-ish uh, kind of five-door wagon. Um, but, yeah, the whole fact that that happened is just weird when you stop yeah. and think about it. But they've, they've done a very good job. Well, I actually for- have to agree with Stephen Corby when he says, you know, the great embarrassment for many motoring journalists is daring to enjoy a Porsche Macan. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and the um, but also credit to say Ford for doing the same thing with the Puma. It, yeah, a real yeah. like you know savvy and um, yeah, it's like a little skateboard on wheels really. And yeah, it's and it looks so cool. cool. Yeah, it looks it so cool. Like- and you know that's the other thing. It's all very subjective, of course. But mm-hmm. um, we've all become, or at least I have. I can't speak on behalf of everyone. So used to the, the, the automotive landscape that is chock full of SUVs. It's no longer a, oh, but it's an SUV. It's just, yeah, that's a great-looking car. You know, the, mm, the whole design mm. thing has evolved into SUVs as well. Yep. And I, I actually agree with the Puma thing. Like, that, that's, that car's point of difference and why anyone should buy one is because it's fun to drive. Mm. How few SUVs are actually fun to drive? Terrific. You know? Terrific. I completely agree. Um, and one last point, uh, just going back to the Kia Stonic, uh, oh, it barely is any taller than, say, the Rio that it's based on. But there is a psychological, like, um, uh, aspect where you, you, it, people who've driven both cars would still think that the Stonic is a high-riding crossover. Right. And you yep. tell them it's not. It's actually pretty much the same. And it shocks them. I think that it, it's an illusion. I think mm. those uh, plastic uh, mudguard uh, strips, yep. uh, uh, yep. mouldings, and, you know, the bigger, the chunkier wheels and, you know, whatever – um, yes, 
and the roof rails make people actually believe that they are sitting taller if they're not. So, which, yeah. is, which is to your point, Tom, about um, you know the the influence the marketing of these things has yeah. had. That as soon as you see something that's called an SUV that looks vaguely like it has some kind of off road ability or heritage, right? It's an SUV. Yes, it's high riding and it's all those things. Uh, but the, the the actual dimensions and everything else, reality may be different. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, just tell us what you think. Where are you on the whole SUV thing? As Byron flashes to another view of the mystery car, also um, kick in and uh, and tell us tell us what you think that is. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's a good one. I think it generally sparks up debate. Thank you for that uh, conversation, guys. Now we're going to move to our garage, Tom monumental point in time you've uh, driven a very significant car and we've just posted up our coverage courtesy of your good self tell us what you've been experiencing well i've just driven the uh golf eight and it's kind of it's one of those cars uh to me where it's like uh when i was growing up i would never have in my life dreamed that i was going to do this job uh and then one day you're handed the keys to a new generation of a car that is so historic and has been around for so long and has typified that brand for so long that you just get handed the keys and you're like wow this is actually a significant moment like i i get to write the launch review of this vehicle. It's, it's, it's a kind of a full on thing. And so I was driving this car the other day and thinking this, and this is the golf eight. And the thing, the thing that struck me about the eighth generation golf is, you know, golf 7.5 was a really good car. You know, we all know that we've all driven multiple variants of it. And in, in pretty much every incarnation of this car, it was damn good. And so how, you know, as Volkswagen, do you take that and make it better? And that's something that's, probably a real challenge for the the boffins at you know uh uh wolfsburg and so uh yeah driving it uh though i think they've done a really good job and actually i think the car that we get is going to be the best version possibly ever and and this is because um we don't get new engines which it sounds like a bad thing but um actually it's allowed the golf's old engines to shine because they don't build the old engine, the one, well, 1.4 litre four-cylinder turbo 110 TSI, which is currently the only engine for the main running variants, which is the base Golf, Golf Life, and Golf R-Line, which are the mm. three mainline variants now. Mm. Uh, the range has been simplified. A lot more equipment has come has become standard, but it does have that carryover engine. Now, interestingly, we get a global version of this car, which dumps the seven-speed dual clutch, which the brand has become known for. And famous for in favor of an eight-speed ASIN uh, torque converter automatic transmission. Yep, and this makes it an absolute pleasure to drive, even better than the seven point five. And I yeah. thought that that would have been really, really difficult because it was. A, tra- I've got to say, it was a really telling part of your story um, going through it yesterday, Tom. That you're, you'd had the belief previously that this engine needed something better connected to it to release its potential, and lo and behold. Here it is. So you were actually able to experience what you were thinking of. Yeah, exactly. Because you drive engines like the one, like one ten is is prolific across all of Volkswagen's range, right? It's in the it's in the Tiguan, it's in um, it's in you know uh, T Rock, it's in uh, Golf, it's in it's in like everything, right? Yep. And it even goes into Skoda's range and all this sort of stuff. And so so this engine has been around for a long time, but it's always always mated to a seven speed dual clutch, and um, 
you drive other other cars with similar engines, like these small capacity turbos, and especially the Euro ones are really, really refined. They're really punchy. The torque arrives with such, you know, lovely, smooth urgency. Um, and, they're, and they're great engines. And the 110, it, you know, you know there's a good engine there, but it's always mated with this transmission. And, it, and you're like, ah, I just want to know what it's like without the hesitation, without the you know, second thought between a couple of the early years when you're in traffic and this sort of thing. And the Ace and 8-speed, it's in other cars. It's in cars like Peugeot 308 and stuff, and it's really good in those other cars. And to see it here in the Golf, it just makes an excellent product even better. And, and you'd made the point, Tom, that the, that the reason we're sticking with those engines is because the new Evo generation, um, to get the best out of it, you have to have higher quality fuels than, than we're able to um, access in Australia. So eventually we probably will get that new engine and it goes back to a dual clutch. So this is a bit of a sweet spot where this very good engine of an older generation will be with this more modern transmission, uh, but it won't be that case for all that long. Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, with the recent announcement that uh, fuel standards may get better in Australia in the next couple of years, um, if, if uh, the federal government gets its plans through, um, it will mean that for the 8.5 update, uh, Volkswagen are really keen to harmonise uh, that engine and transmission combination where they can. Um, and it's not, their concern is twofold. It's not just that, um, it's not just that, their brand positioning at the moment is saying, well, we've got to bring down our global carbon footprint. That's one of their objectives. And that's why they want that engine as soon as possible. But it's also uh, the reason for not bringing it here is because uh, they're actually concerned about longevity of it with high sulfur right. fuel yep. in that um, because it's direct injection only. Uh, and it's, you know, a really finely, like these, these engines are really finely tuned now um, to get sulfur build up on, you know, injectors and things is not good. So right. they, they don't, they don't want to have to deal with that down the track. You know, it becomes one of those things like, oh, uh, you know, it's fine when it launches, but in inside the warranty window, are we going to start getting problems maybe? You know, yeah. It's this yeah, sort of yeah, 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 yeah. So, and tell me uh, in the tin, in the metal, uh, there'd been a bit of kind of back and forth about how the car looked to your eyes. Do you find it an appealing update, an appealing design? Does it instantly look like a golf, good, bad, indifferent? Where are you on that? Yeah, the uh, the update, I, I think that the toughest selling point for a lot of people is going to be that it, it, it is a very minor sort of update from the outside. It looks like it could be a facelift. Um, they have reworked some things, even in the platform, very slight things just to tune up the ride and, and the handling and stuff like this, it's, it's nothing major. And so I think if you're, if you've got a 7.5 now and you walk into a dealer and you see one of these, it's like, Oh, is that just my car again? You know, the, the, the biggest tell is its face, but really, and the fact that it's got the golf written across the, the tailgate and that very contemporary kind of look, uh, it's got new wheels, you know, there's cool sort of stuff where the paint spills into the bumper and things like this. But the, if you look at it in a side profile, it's, it's, Right. Could easily was, was, the, was the paint spilling into the bumper? That's a production line issue, obviously. There was, <laughs> yeah. How many how so, many cars? Do we know how many cars tape. suffered from that yeah. problem? Yeah. <laughs> um, Tom, I want to know what you think of the uh, the move away from swi uh, physical switches. Yeah, um, right. I think the Volkswagen group is pretty much wholesale going towards. Oh, yes, yeah. but you know, did, did you have an opinion on that? It, it's particularly notable in the Golf because the like other products have been facelifted recently, uh, Tiguan and uh, Passat. Um, they've moved to a more touch-based 
uh, interface. Uh, look, the, the, the way Volkswagen have done it is much better than many of their rivals who have moved to touch interfaces. Um, like the climate, the new climate unit is actually quite cool. You, you know, you think it's not going to be great no while you're intended. driving. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You think it's not going to be great while you're driving, but they've actually thought of like, like these little things like, okay, if I hold the climate, like the climate segment, what it does is just sets it to a default temperature which is kind of handy. So you, you literally just put your finger over and hold it for like half a second and it'll do that. Um, so, you know, that removes the whole thing of fiddling with the dials to get it to 21.5 or whatever your perfect temperature is, right? Um, and uh, the software in the car is incredible. It's really good. Um, but I agree, there is no compromise for having things like a volume knob uh, or, a, you know, a dial for fan speed or just an instant aircon off button there's no yeah. it is a bit annoying right. um but i think volkswagen have executed it better than almost anyone else. like it, it is one of the best executions of touch systems that i've seen um but it is it is still it detracts from the package right. for me too i agree interesting i mean and for people uh watching or listening your review we're recording this on a friday uh went up overnight so video uh review all the details it's there on our site so video uh, video next week <laughs> oh sorry no i beg your pardon i take that back videos next week but <laughs> yes. your full review with all the details um is in there yes, yes, because we, get, that. we get to drive the gti as well so that'll be in the video too so the video is worth waiting for yeah. good 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 you could say that the uh this interim like golf eight um sweet spot where it has the torque converter eight speed order from azen to Toyota. I mean, Asian. Right. Um, it, you could say it was at, like that time when the JD Camira was launched, <laughs> and it um, had it, went, it had leather fuel and it had all the power. Yep. It was like, and then when wagon leaded sedan, absolutely. Yeah, and then, and then they went unleaded, and it had that massive drop in power. So I'm not saying that it's yeah. So you know, maybe you should buy up now, hey. Well, also, isn't it? I think, Tom, you make the point that it, it's, you know, Volkswagen has honed its hatchback game down to such a fine point at the, at the time when hatchbacks are just disappearing, you know. So they've, they've put all their love and attention into this car, but to keep moving forward and recruiting new customers, they probably need to leave it behind. Well, that's... Um, and, and as electrification comes at us uh, so rapidly and SUVs are all the go, Golf is, th this could be the, the last or next to last generation of the golf yeah yeah we've actually got a, a new story we asked them about that because it is it just seems like electrification is picking up so quickly um that you know n nameplates like this even historic ones like golf you know what what happened like they've got id3 in europe right and from yeah. what i understand id3 is so popular they actually can't build enough of them um right. so right. it becomes this sudden thing where it's like okay golf is really strong it's at the top of its game uh you know new generations coming out and then suddenly you look at the the near future yeah. and it's yeah. like whoa hold on a sec it's about to be replaced by id3 like there's no exactly where, there's nowhere for it to go it's boxed in but it's great that they're still making the most of it like this could have just been a facelift i think we were talking about that weren't we byron in the local context you know in terms of uh, years and years of domination uh for the ford falcon years and years of domination for the holden commodore uh, both of which are now firmly in in the past, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, you are you either keep moving or you're you're left behind. So. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, nothing stays the same. Yeah, maybe they yeah. should just. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I've got this notion of maybe they should just put some 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 mouldings on this on the on the wheel arches <laughs> and a roof rack and call it. That's right. 
a golf over or a crossover or something. A golf over. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'd like to see how that slots in with, you know, I mean, you've got golf all track. There you go. That's yeah. golf. Yeah. It just becomes yeah. permanent. Like the whole range is golf all track now. Hey, yeah, I think actually Volkswagen did it years before it announced. Remember the mm. the golf country from 1989? I do, I do. Based on the golf and, three. And yeah. I suppose Two. they've got golf they've two. got so much equity in that name that you'd have to think it'll it'll find a home somewhere along the way. But the golf as we know it um, will will maybe be on the way. But that, thank new, you, Tom. There's a new story on Saturday morning. If you very want good, to read very what good. Volkswagen had to say about it. Very good. Now, um, Byron, um, speaking of golf utility vehicles, the GUV. There's another GUV um, that maybe started that particular trend uh, that you've been driving. That's right. So keeping over, um, keeping up, uh, keeping the crossover kind of vibe going here. Um, I've been driving, belatedly, the uh, Kia Carnival, the GUV, the uh, Grand Utility Vehicle. Vehicle, I think that is the nomenclature. Yep. Yep. That is the acronym. Yep. And so... Uh, uh, I've been driving down here in Melbourne and I've had it longer than usual because um, uh, we've, we, uh, had to ha- we snapped into uh, lockdown. So um, it gives me more time to really get to know a vehicle, particularly from a packaging point of view, because we couldn't drive very far, but you know, you still need to drive around, but you can certainly live in this car because it's, it's spacious enough. But one of the things that really struck me is, uh, is just how SUV-esque the car isn't right right so um when the <laughs> pictures were unveiled of this car last year in the middle of last year kia made a point of saying well you know we've decided that you know we're going to we, we, we're combining the um you know the the kia sorrento platform and architecture with you know the the traditional mpv slash people mover um three row uh seven or eight seater um, body and we're creating something new and different and exciting and this is it and gee i mean the car there's no there's i don't think you, uh, you neither of you people are going to uh debate the looks of it it is a striking looking vehicle inside and out mm-hmm. um, and one that really i think progresses the look of uh, and the desirability of of uh people movers Anyway, so I've been driving this car for a couple of weeks thinking, oh, yeah, I can, you know, I reckon this is a bit SUV-esque, you know, maybe I can go over this speed hump a bit higher, you know, a bit faster. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, you know I, I'm lording it over everyone and, you know, in terms of traffic. And then just yesterday I parked at the local supermarket and uh, the previous generation carnival parked right next to me and the guy got out and, you know, and, you know, so it gave me an opportunity to, to visually inspect both cars. Yes. And it from, yeah, this is just me looking at the car now. So this isn't a scientific um, experimentation, but the hip point, the roof line, uh, the position of the wheels on both cars are virtually indistinct. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I think I think it's also quite telling that you uh, went to the psychology of lording it over everyone, Byron. I think mm. bad Byron does come out from time to time. Lord when bad you're behind, Byron. Yeah, bad yeah, Lord that's Byron. Lord, bad <laughs> Lord Byron. Yes. Comes out when you're on the, uh, behind the wheel of particular vehicles. Yeah. So, um, but you know what? The, there are little things that um, do uh, assist that kind of perception yep. of, and that is the deep windows, um, obviously, yeah. the uh, the lofty driving position, the, the packaging on that vehicle is is great as well. I'm not it's, I'm not taking anything away from the Carnival. 
But, you know, if you're thinking that, you know, you've got a vehicle that you might be able to, you know, go over um, beyond gravel roads and that sort of thing, it's nah. grand only in size and yes. in, um, in yes. packaging and accommodation. Yes. Yes. Love it, though. Yes. It's a great thing. And Good. FYI, I'm driving the V6, and that's a, that's a punchy little unit, isn't it? Good. I've only driven the diesel so far, but that's interesting. That's yeah. good. That's good. All right. Well, I think I think we better keep moving. Thank you, and thank you also for the next angle on the mystery vehicle, um, oh, which is keep keeping people interested, me particularly. Now, um, I can tip in here with uh, Mazda MX30. So the one that I've been driving is the G20e Evolve. So it's a two liter four, 114 kilowatts, 200 newton meters, six speed auto, front wheel drive just under 34 grand before you put it on the road. And what I would say about it is it is a sweet little engine, direct injection, two liter, really nice, nice steering and nice steering wheel. I found the, the just, I don't know, you can get thingy about steering wheels, but this one just struck me as a particularly nice wheel. Um, it looks kind of funky inside and out. Um, you've got a mild hybrid set up with a, a battery on board to power mainly the stop start system. So, so that's helpful. Um, I, I had some negatives with the car, I've got to say. I found the console design, which is intricate and has an, an upper kind of um, arching piece with the gear selector in it and then a lower area for, for storage of bits and pieces. I don't think it works. I, I think it's a good try, but it, it probably doesn't get a pass mark from me because it's so very difficult to access that storage underneath the... the um, flying buttress almost, you know, above the top. It's characterised by its clamshell doors, um, RX-8 style, um, and it puts me in mind of i3 BMW and others that have gone down a similar path where you have to open the front door to then open the rear door. There's no B pillar, so you have that very nice opening into the car. But what you find is when you park next to somebody else, it's a complete pain in the neck because you have to open up the front door, then shuffle around, try and find a way to open the back door and let people in or out or whatever. Uh, it, it was a bit of a struggle um, from time to time, let's put it that way. I also found driving the car that the seatbacks, at least in the front, were quite thin. I'm, I'm not a, a, a narrow kind of a person, but typically I can get comfy in a car. It just felt quite thin in the back um, of the seats. And all of the construction that goes into making those clamshell doors means you don't have uh, a wind-down rear window um, either side, and it's quite chunky around the window apertures that are there. And your over-shoulder view um, to the left is limited. It really does. It's, it's tricky to see cars. Yeah, check your mirror, but if you want to double-check with a head turn, it, it's kind of difficult. Um, and I, really, in terms of the positioning in the Mazda range and just in the market, I, at this stage, I'm not really getting it. Maybe when the full electrified version is, is here, it makes more sense. But in between things like CX-30, CX-5, you've got MX-30, uh, I'm, I'm just not really understanding the pitch of that this, car. This is the thing. I, I remember when the like this two-litre mild hybrid one got revealed in Japan, and, and I thought, okay, that, that's a that's a Japan-only special that they're going to do, right? right. I, I thought it didn't stand a chance for our market. They'll do the electric one here. Maybe they'll do you know something else, like an actual hybrid, right? Um, but then they revealed this car. I just thought, no way. No, no yeah. one's going to buy this. Why does this exist? Yeah, but Byron, it seemed like you have different thoughts on the car. Well, I... I fundamentally agree with what you're saying. Um, and for me, 
to me, it really seems like Mazda just became smitten with the BMW i3 and tried to reproduce it in a way that might be more appealing to consumers in that it's crossover-esque, SUV-esque. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it is. I mean, it is a yeah. high-riding car and yeah. it is a larger car. And, uh-huh. um, and like, even little things like the cork in the, in the, um, in the interior, on, I'm not sure if it's on the bottom spec car, but on the high spec car I drove had cork uh-huh. elements yep. that are pure I3, you know, uh-huh. of course, also the Definitely. clamshell doors. But, yeah, look, I think two things about that car. It's based on the CX-30, as you know. Yeah. And when the car that you're making is a coupe and meant to be more desirable but isn't as beautiful as the car that it's based on, because I think the CX-30 is a sweet-looking car, then it's a fail as far as I'm concerned. Right. And and the packaging as well. Like, you know, that rear seat packaging is, is also, um, you know, it's a wasted opportunity. However, yeah. I also think that this is a range of cars. Uh, the, uh, yeah. the Pure EV, which uh, was released a bit later but is now available, has its own issues with uh, low range right. and uh, very expensive. But there's also going to be the rotary range extender coming next year in this vehicle, which mm. might be the making of this car. Okay. Well, that's what I say. I'm, I'm just judging it on one aspect of it. Yeah. I neglected to mention, of course, the electric one is here. So no. as that starts to fill out, you know, range extender, et cetera, yeah. Could, what, do you, could, what do you think of the looks different... of it, James and Tom? Sorry, Tom, you were, you were going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say that's the one I was thinking of, the range extender, when I said hybrid. Right. Hybrid. Yeah, yeah I, I like the little design details. I like the way they've taken their taillight treatment to the, to the next level and made it actually protrude out from the car. They've hooded the headlights and, and made them kind of even more recessed into the bodywork. They've given it a distinct visual personality. I've got, I've got no problem with that. I think it's, it's quite different, but I don't know whether it's enough um, to draw at this point to draw someone away from 630, 6.5, that, that kind of thing. But you're right, when it's electric, when there's a range extender, it's a different proposition altogether. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, I actually don't mind the look of it. I think it's like, it's really cool that it's different because with Mazda, I think one of the things is, you know, a lot of their range looks the same. You know, you look, yep. you look at a CX-5, CX-8, CX-9, you know, they look beautiful. They're beautiful cars, um, especially for SUVs. Like how often do SUVs look that good and that appealing across a whole range of products? You know, mm. like you can poke the hate stick at various Toyotas because they're also a bit wacky and different. And, you know, maybe you like yeah. one, but not another. But your, your hate range. stick is particularly sharp too, Tom. I know that you uh, you get the, the pocket knife out. You keep it very, very sharp. Yeah, I've been known to pop tires. Um, but the I think the yeah MX30, it's good because it's different and it's something yeah. that we haven't seen before from Mazda. It's an evolution. It's something yeah. that's off to the side. But I think if you're going to do that, make a statement, make it electric and range extender only. Don't bother yeah, with the petrol yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fair call. I think that's a fair comment. All right, look, with that, I think we have reached the finish line. And I want to say thank you, Byron. Thank you, James. Thank you, Thomas. And thank you, Tom. Thank you. And thanks to our creator of opportunities, head of customer wow and social media Sith Lord, Mr. Pritchard, for his mouse-clicking, knob-twirling and slider-sliding production prowess. Uh, Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, remember when I asked your opinion? Yeah, me neither. Um, Inappropriately short shorts and Crocs, but not the kind you're thinking of. People on YouTube will understand. 
Um, let us know your thoughts. You can find Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple podcast listener, please rate and review us and make sure you subscribe to Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, a mate of mine uh, was in Germany. He was telling me a few years ago, he was travelling with um, a German mate of his on the Autobahn. He was now a reasonable speed and he was a little bit unnerved and then it started to bucket down rain and he was even more unnerved when a couple of snakes started to slither across the bonnet and up towards them and he said mate what what's going on there he's Jim makers oh don't worry they are just my windscreen vapors oh James you it's so good I'm so glad you're such a good writer <laughs> Thank you.